great relationships are possible. I'm just going to pause right there today because I need you to believe that. I need you to breathe that in today that great relationships are indeed possible. And maybe you're looking for a relationship and you're struggling to believe that there's going to be a great relationship out there for you. Maybe you are living with a a past failed relationship in your past and you're struggling to believe that there's hope of a great relationship in your future. Or maybe you're in a marital relationship right now that's not living up to what it could be. And I'll just tell you today that if you find yourself in a seemingly hopeless or desperate situation, there's no story you could tell me that I couldn't turn around and tell you another one just like it or worse, that God rescued and God made a difference and God healed. So do not give up. Do not give up. Great relationships are possible but they're not probable. We, we know that. I mean, it just doesn't naturally happen. The world's way, the sin, uh, sin, the enemy, they make great relationships improbable. Still possible, but improbable. Whether it's a parent-child relationship or your relationship with your parents or friendships or people at work or the marriage relationship. Wherever you have relationships, you will have a struggle, okay? Maybe even failure. But we're trying to help you do something to improve that and all, help us all follow God's way and to help you take an uncommon approach to your relationships. So we've had this theme verse uh, for this series. It was our theme verse for the last series. Uh, it, it's such a powerful uh, verses here in the, in the beginning of Romans 12. Romans 12 is such a powerful chapter. In some way, these could be the theme verses of every series we do. Because it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. And if there's any way you, any place you don't want to copy the behavior and customs of the world, it's in the marriage relationship. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's so monumental when it comes to Christianity. Because religion gives you a book, gives you a list of words and a list of rules and says, follow these rules. God steps in with Christianity and says, let God transform you by the way you think. And by changing what you believe and changing what you think, then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And you begin to experience God's will and God's way and God's word by changing the way you think. And that's what God wants for your life. And that's what we want to help you to attain. Uh, So today we're going to talk about an area that affects each and every one of us in any relationship we want to apply it to, especially the marriage relationship, and that is the topic of communication. And this is one of those weeks where you hesitate uh, telling people what the topic is ahead of time in fear that people will just start a home project that will consume their weekend and not have time for church. Like, let's not go hear about marital communication this weekend. But you're here, so uh, way to go. Or maybe you didn't pay attention and didn't know that's what we were talking about today. But you're here. How do, how do we communicate? Well, how we communicate and just words in general have such power. And as a communicator, I'm frequently reminded of the power of words. That there's nothing going on in this room right now except me talking. 
But yet somehow I'm going to get a note from one of you later this week about how powerful that was and how it led to a breakthrough in your life and helped you to finally see things differently or how the power of God was released in your life or in your mind. And it's not because of anything I'm really saying or doing, but really God's word and how God's word is alive and active and it's sharper than any sword and it's at power in people's life and it's at power uh, through his word and through those who commit to teaching his word. There's power there because God is a personal, relational God. The world wants relationships to become as impersonal as possible. We want to be able to say whatever we want and then say to someone, hey, don't take it personally. Just being honest. If you don't believe me, just look at the comments section of any web page. <laughs> you see that we, just, we, we, we would say things that we would never say to someone's face or if we really knew them. Because it's hard to hate someone up close when you really know them. I was flying last week, and I'm always struck with how everyone in an airport just sees everyone else as an obstacle, that you're just an obstacle for me to get to security, and now you're the obstacle for me to get to my gate and to make sure I get in my seat and to make sure there's room for my luggage. But if you ever catch someone eye to eye, you're no longer uh, the obstacle. You're a real person. And it's, oh no, let's work together here. You go ahead. Or let me help you with your bag. And all of a sudden you're not an obstacle. You're a person. And the same struggle happens in communicating. When the personal element is removed from it, people are obstacles. And we just spew our opinions. And then that bleeds into our homes and into our marriage relationships. And we've got to transform this. And God reminds us that... The transformation happens first by the way that we think and what we believe. And so we've got to understand communication a little bit better. And I'm going to help you with that today. Uh, I've got quite a bit of notes for you and, and progressions. We're going to go one through four, one through four, one through seven. And really the best way uh, for us to do this is maybe once we get through the end of each progression, for you to star or circle where your relationship is or the thing that you need to work on, you know, just pinpoint the thing you need to work on, not the thing your spouse needs to work on, but what you need to work on. And then maybe even you'll be so bold uh, on the drive home or later today to ask your spouse, hey, which one, if I were to work on that thing, would make the biggest impact? But that's if you're feeling really bold. Um, but uh, let's go to the first progression here. Researchers have identified four levels of communication. Four levels of communication. On your notes, first is what's called surface communication. This is, hey, hi, how you doing? Fine, and you? Maybe just not even words, but just a head nod, and then we go on our day. It never breaks the surface. But the next level breaks the surface, but it's still pretty shallow. It's just general information. And some of you in your homes or in your marriages, this is where you are. It's just passing general information. Hey, Johnny's got a test tomorrow. Make sure he studies for the test. Plumber's coming at three on Monday. Someone's got to let in the plumber. I'm going to work out after work. And it's just general information going back and forth. But real communication has to go to a deeper level. In fact, men, I want to help you out today. So this is just for the men in the room. I want you to write down four words that are the most romantic words you could ever say to your wife. The four most romantic words you could ever say to your wife are, and then what happened? (laughs) 
Uh, the third, the, it's really the first deeper place, but it's the third level of communication, and that is deep feelings. People have deep feelings. But here's what I've learned about feelings. Feelings aren't always right, but they're always real. A lot of the times, even the person who has the feelings knows that the feelings aren't quite right, but I still have them. And a lot of us don't have a safe place to express our feelings because when we express our feelings, what we get is the correction of our feelings instead of the acknowledgement of them. And so we don't share them because we know that we're just going to get the list of reasons why we shouldn't feel that way, but yet we still feel that way. And in conflict, one of the best things you can do is instead of blaming somebody by saying you always do this or you never do this, is to say, when this happens or when you do this, this is what it makes me feel. And describe your feelings because no one can refute your feelings. They may not be, be right, but they're real. So we've got to create a safe place where we can share those deep feelings. And then the next area of deepness is deep needs. And most marriages never get to the place where they can express their deep needs, where they say, let me tell you what I need. But the best marriages and the best relationships are ones where you have an understanding of your spouse's deepest needs. And almost all marriages don't get to this level. Willard Harley, a well-known biblical counselor, used to have husbands and wives uh, go into two separate rooms and have them write out their deepest needs and then what they think their spouse's deepest needs are. So the husband would write down his deep five, top five deepest needs that his wife could fulfill. And then she would write down her husband's top five deepest needs that she could fulfill. And then they would come and compare the list and they would not even compare. Maybe one of them would overlap. And if you just assume that you know what your wife's needs are, most, most men don't know what their wife's deepest needs are that their husband could fulfill. Or the wife doesn't know what the husband's deepest needs are that they could fulfill. If you just assume you know what they are, you're probably wrong. Unless you have intentionally worked to communicate what your deepest needs are that your spouse could fulfill. And the best marriages are ones where you have somewhere along the line, and it's never too late to do this, communicate what those are. So those are the four levels of communication. But I've got to give you another progression here because there's a reason why those four levels of communication don't just naturally happen. And the reason is there's things working against. There's barriers to those levels of communication. And the first communication barrier is withdrawal. Most people can either verbally withdraw or they just shut the whole thing down. They say, that's it. That's the last word because you're so frustrated with the whole process or you just physically withdraw and maybe you're familiar with the silent treatment. Every marriage in here, mine included, has gone through the silent treatment game where you just can't even, like you don't even, can't even touch each other and like you're on the very edge of the bed because if you just were, even if a heel were to touch, you lose. So you just like pretend they don't even exist. And I heard a story about a couple who were doing the silent treatment to each other and neither of them wanted to be the one to break the silence and, and lose. So the next morning, the guy had to catch a plane. He had to, he had to be up by 5 a.m. to go catch a flight. So he, but he didn't want to break the silent treatment game. So he just wrote a note to his wife that says, uh, make sure I'm up by 5 a.m. And he left that note on her nightstand. 
Next day he wakes up, it's 9 a.m. He's missed his flight. He looks over at his nightstand and there's a note that says, it's 5 a.m., wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, second level or the second barrier to communication is escalation. And this is where tempers are flaring and you're talking loudly, which listen to me now, even if you get your way, it does not work. Because if the heart doesn't receive it, you didn't win anything. And if the hearts are not at peace with it, you didn't get anywhere. Researchers have found that when a man's heartbeat gets above 100 beats per minute in an argument, he loses the ability to think rationally. So escalation is not going to be effective. The third barrier, it gets to this dangerous level of belittling. To where now you've spiraled down into this lower level by being involved in this argument in the first place. But rather than stopping the argument or getting it back on track and elevating the situation to a higher level, instead I begin to belittle my spouse. So I can feel like I have the upper hand. So I feel like I'm still on top. And that is at the core why people are critical. Why in in our culture, a critical person who... Everything's passive-aggressive. They, they've got to leave that, that comment. They've got to be critical. They've got to, to say that belittling thing is because really on the inside, they're an insecure person and they can't raise themselves. They have to tear everyone else down to, this, to their level. And that's why this critical spirit has gotten so out of control. And I'm just calling our church, Rockbrook Church, to rise above that to not belittle the people around us, to to have an uncommon approach to our relationships. And then this fourth barrier to communicating deeply is this false belief. And this is, it becomes dangerous because now it becomes demonic. And when I say that, I'm intentionally trying to remind you that there is a spiritual element and spiritual warfare at work in your marriage relationship where your words could actually be accomplishing the work of the devil when they support a false belief. Here's why. Jesus says that the devil is a liar and he's the father of all lies. That every lie, he's the father of every lie and the instigator of every lie. And when you get to the point where you are creating things that didn't happen, you're assigning false motives, you're making false accusations, it begins to destroy the marriage relationship all the more. So what do we do about all this? Here's the levels, you know, we're trying to get to this deeper level. Here's the barriers. How do we have an uncommon relationship? What do we do about this? And I have a job today as your pastor that my job today is to bring weight to this topic. That we don't think our speech is as important as it really is. When really it's a bigger issue than I could ever express to you. Jesus himself said that on judgment day, that each one of us is going to give an accounting for every word we have ever spoken. You mean, Jesus, I'm going to have to give an account for every improper word, every idle word, everything I've ever said? He says, yes. Unless... You have confessed them and asked God to forgive them and they have been covered with the blood of Jesus. Jesus was bringing weight to this topic in Matthew chapter 12. 
where he just interrupts the conversation and he says, let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. You are looking at a guy this morning who is the product of the words that have been spoken over him. You are the product of the words. You're the sum total of the words that have been spoken over you. And I'm very blessed to have the parents that I have, the siblings that I have, the relationships I have in my life. And I often hope that God doesn't let that blessing put somebody off or turn someone away. I even pray, don't let them think that I don't understand what they went through. But we're all a product of what has been spoken over us. And I'm so thankful for parents who every day of my life told me they love me, that God has a purpose for me. They've been my biggest encouragers and they pray for me all the time. I have the most amazing siblings and the most amazing grade school teachers and choir teachers. And the fact that janitor at my school was just, he, he just rose to a higher level where he decided, I'm not just going to be a janitor, but he would speak life into the kids and take opportunity with the platform God gave him to speak life into the kids around him. I'm thankful for people who, they, they weren't even my teachers, but they were other teachers, guys like Bob Zayner, who just took every opportunity to speak life into kids. I remember teachers in children's church who taught the scriptures and the lessons and prayed over me by name, and I've had professors who still check in on me and encourage me, and friends who are older uh, who would, I mean, tell me to knock it off, you're being a moron, and redirect my life. I'm so thankful for that. And worship leaders and pastors who spoke blessing over my life. And I'm just trying to get you to see that whatever your role is, you can redeem that role to speak life into the people around you. And it's a bigger deal than maybe you've ever recognized before. And maybe no one ever did that for you. But you can be healed from that in Jesus' name. And you can be the kind of person who speaks life into those around you. And I really want you to just see the gravity around this today, that if you've been hurt by words, and all of us have, I I could stand up here and rehearse the times that I've been gossiped about and lied to and yelled at and the times that people wrote stuff about me online or on social media that just was flat out not true. But how could I focus on the negative when the overwhelming tide has been God's people speaking life and truth into me? And that's what I want to do today. Instead of focusing on the negative, I want to focus on the positive side of this. Now, we learned in the last series in Uphill Habits that the best way to kill a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. And so how do you replace uh, the bad habit in our bad mouths with something good. Well, you got to, how do you create something good? You've got to replace it with a good, a positive thing that we're filling our mouths. And that's what I want to give you today. Look at this quote from George Bernard Shaw, the Irish playwright. He said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. <laughs> As a communicator, I hate that quote. Because like, no, I said it. I prepared it. They just didn't get it. No, honey, I said this. (laughs) No, I said it. But there's an illusion that communication has taken place when maybe it hasn't. We've got to be intentional. If you flip your page over, there's a heading has the word intentional. Just circle that word. You've got to be intentional about saying good things, about communicating good things. 
And I want to give you seven types of words that we can use to intentionally improve our communication. The first one is praise. And praise means that I'm going to look for your good qualities and I'm going to highlight them. I'm going to praise you for them. I'm going to focus on the words of my mouth on the good things that I see in you. And I'm going to say it to you. Proverbs 25.11 says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. It's saying that a word aptly spoken is both beautiful and valuable. It's apples of gold in settings of silver. So today, uh, this afternoon, we're going to have step three of the growth track. It's called Discovery 301. And growth track is four, uh, four steps uh, that help you decide whether or not this is your ho- home church. And we give you um, the habits that you can put in your life. It's a catalyst to put these discipleship habits in your life. And then the third step, we help you discover uh, things about yourself, how God wired you, your spiritual gifts, your personality, your abilities, what you're passionate about. So that in the next step, you can join a team where you're serving and using those gifts to edify and help other people. And what we never do is tell you what team to join because we want that to be driven by what you're passionate about, how God's gifted you, and where you feel led to serve. But often uh, people will come to me or someone on our team and say, hey, I see people serving and I've done this assessment in 301 and I'm discovering, you know, that why I am the way I am and what my spiritual gifts are and, and could you just point me in a direction where I could best use that gift? And today I want to encourage you to use your gifts and talents to serve and encourage the young people in our church and to get involved with our children and our students, to get involved in RBFK, Rockbrook for Kids, or in our student ministries, specifically uh, or particularly their small groups. Have apples of gold and settings of silver. Rockbrook, I need more of you doing this because God knows what these young people are hearing everywhere else. And even if their parents are amazing and they're rock stars at home and they're pouring into them, it's not enough. They need our help. And if you could just imagine sitting in a, in a circle with those third graders or, or in that small group or in that home with those high schoolers or college-age students or the junior high students and just speaking life into them and saying, you can get through this, okay? It gets better. Just, I believe in you. And just to see them leave church that day or leave that small group setting that day with their chest stuck out knowing, hey, my church and God believes in me. And be apples of gold and settings of silver to say things that are beautiful and valuable. I am the product of church people who were committed to this. Who spoke life into me in children's church and and throughout youth ministry. And they were raising a pastor and didn't even know it. And I'm the product of their commitment to this and their, their selflessness to give up their time, to give up their schedule, and to pour life into young people. And I need more of you doing this to say, I believe in you. There's a champion inside of you that you're going to do great things for God someday, that you're going to make it through this. Come on, stay on the narrow path with me. I need you involved in that to make a difference in people's lives. Because you, know, you don't know who they'll become, or what that, what that seed of your words planted in their heart and their life will grow to be. And praise, give a word of praise to people. Second is thanksgiving. To just be grateful in your relationships, in your marital relationship. 
you don't know, none of us know, everything our spouse has to do to keep that home running, to keep that job, to make things happen in life. We gotta be grateful, we gotta be thankful. Be thankful to the people around us. Rockbrook people don't complain to the server at the restaurant after church about the service. Okay, they leave a God-sized tip and they say, best service I've ever had, thank you. Rockbrook people go out into the community and they are the most grateful people in Belton and Raymore. And they're grateful to the people around them and their thanksgiving sets an example and their thanksgiving is what prophesies into that person's life and says, I'm valued, I'm worthwhile, God made me for a purpose. God's people love me. You need to tell your kids that. Okay, Rockbrook parents breathe life into their kids. They leave notes in their lunchbox that says, I'm thankful that you're my kid. I'm so glad that God designed it to where I could be your parent. The Bible says that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. I don't think it's an accident that those two Proverbs are listed together. And maybe you just need to say to your spouse, honey, I found a good thing and I want to tell you what's good about you. I want to thank you. I want to be grateful and communicate gratitude for what they're doing. The third word is affection. And and a lot of us have gotten to the place where we can't even say these words of affection. And maybe it's from wounds from the past. And, And maybe you think you're protecting yourself because you've You've shared those words before and you got burned, but you're not protecting yourself, you're hurting yourself. And affection, terms of endearment, we've got to find place where we can get healing to where we can share those. And that's why we want you to find freedom at Rockbrook, to find freedom from those hurts, those things that have happened. And, and maybe you need to just make an emphasis right now in your small groups or in your Celebrate Recovery walk that you're going to find some healing over over those wounds so that you can share your affection. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have, this is God talking. He sets the example. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. I'll just tell you today, my church, that few people on this planet love you more than I do and think about you more than I do and pray for you more than I do. I think you're the, absolutely the best church on the planet. I really believe that. You're the most generous, the most serving, the most fun, the most kind. Everything I'm teaching today, I have learned from you. Learned from watching your marriages. Learned from you guys speaking into my life. And you could not find someone who loves you more. And you need to share those words of affection with your family and with your friends and the people around you. The fourth word, the fourth thing is encouragement. You know I love this one. Did a whole message on encouragement back in November. You need to pour some courage into someone. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Build up your spouse. They need it. My wife, years ago, she, she told me, Uh, I'm going to become the CEO of our home. She said, chief encouragement officer. That's my role. I mentioned all those voices of encouragement in my life. All of them combined don't come close to how much my wife has encouraged me. Every day, every day, we love you. You are an amazing man of God. 
And honestly, she says it even when I'm not being an amazing man of God. But that's what triggers me to be a man of God. Your encouragement prophesies someone into life. You speak into, into being the world you want to live in. Speak encouragement into your spouse's life. Anybody as convicted as I am today? Anybody getting anything out of this today? Here's number five, speak kindness. I'm going to create an environment around me that is harmless, that you're safe when you're around me because I'm not going to let any vile stuff come out of my mouth even if it's not directed at you. And we've got to commit to creating a safe environment around us. And being harsh, it it doesn't work anyway. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And just the fact that you get loud and get your way does not change a thing. So you maybe say, Ryland, well, how do you get anything done? I mean, how do you communicate deep needs? How do you bring up a concern to your spouse? I mean, you just be ooey-gooey all the time like this and it works itself out? Well, no, you, you need to bring up the concerns. There are things we've got to do to work seriously on our relationships. And that's number six. You speak the truth in love. It's okay to say what's wrong. It's not okay to enforce what's wrong. To say it in a way that's going to intimidate the other person. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit change people. I don't know how many times in my marriage, like really, I don't know, that there's been a conflict or a problem. There's something Lauren's doing, rubbing me the wrong way, or I'm rubbing her the wrong way, I'm sure more often than not. And she'll pray and ask God to alert me to that thing. Because we understand that and have learned from you guys that God makes a bigger difference than I, I mean, the Holy Spirit could whisper something to her and have it be more profound and her get it than me nagging her about it or bringing it up over and over again. And so when there's a concern or a conflict or a problem, start with prayer and see if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't change that person's direction. Now, a lot of times, God doesn't do that and he says, no, I want you guys to work on it. I want you guys to talk about it. And so you've got to bring up that concern in truth and love. And this is what, this is why we do this. Ephesians 4.15 says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Well, how does this make us more like Christ? Because the Bible says Jesus was full of truth. He told it the way it was, but he was full of grace. He gave us a way out. Truth and grace, that's what we aspire to. And I'm going to say what I believe, but I'm going to say it in a way that you want to do it, that we're a team in this, not in a way that intimidates you or pushes you away. Write these extra notes down in the margins somewhere. Truth without grace, truth without grace is mean. So you can say, well, at least I'm being honest. You're probably just being mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. If there's no truth in it, it's not productive, it's not effective. But truth and grace is medicine. It makes an impact, it's effective. So doing it with truth and grace, so what does that mean? Well, it means doing it at the right time. It means doing it with a loving touch. It's hard when you start a conversation with a loving touch for it to get off track or to get out of control. 
I'm going to do it with an understanding that this may be difficult for someone. I mean, you may just say, or you may be saying to yourself, why don't they just get this? Well, they don't get it. Maybe they've never seen the example. Maybe it's a blind spot for them. So I'm going to do it with an understanding this may be difficult with them. I'm going to do it with the truth. I'm going to do it with grace. And I'm going to do it all with number seven, with prayer. Praying for one another, with one another is an amazing, powerful communication tool. It's so important that you pray first. That's why we give out these wristbands, say pray first. It's just a reminder that And before I go into the house, I'm just going to take a beat here and say, God, I need you. Help me to do this well. You may have had a horrible day. You may be fuming mad at something about work. I'm not going to take it out on my spouse and my kids today. I'm going to say, God, I need you. And I'm going to claim Psalm 16, 8 through 9, that I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices my body also will rest secure. Let's pray now. Well, God, I believe today that that people need to be healed from the words that have been spoken over them by their bosses or their teachers or their parents, their siblings, maybe even their spouse. God, thank you that they are here and that they hear the words of life and love. I pray that you'd encourage them today. God, all of us have said words that we regret. And we just confess them to you now and ask you to forgive us. We ask you to help the person we hurt make room in their heart to forgive us. Lord, we take responsibility for our words. Help us this week to be more intentional with praise and thanksgiving and affection we're going to speak words of encouragement and grace and truth and love. God, this week we're going to build others up. Help us to just apply this message today to pinpoint a few things that we heard today that we can uh, begin on. God, thank you for marriage. Thank you that great relationships are possible. But listen to me, church, none of this is possible unless you let God come into your life and give you the power to do this. And if you are far from God and you feel disconnected, you are one heartfelt prayer away from connecting and feeling his power inside of you. How? Well, the book of Romans also tells us that it begins by confessing with your mouth and believing it in your heart. Believing what? Believing that Jesus is who he says he is. That he really lived, and he lived a perfect, sinless life. That he died on the cross. That death was in our place. That he paid the penalty for our sin. And that he rose from the dead, giving us the hope of eternal life with him. If you want to be in on that today, you say, Ryland, I want to start believing that today. I want to help you with the words to pray. If you want to in on that, just lift up your hand right now with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you say, yes, I want in on this prayer. I want to start believing in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and paying for my sin. I receive your forgiveness. I ask you to give me your power to live. Today, I surrender my life completely to you. God, change me. Live in me. The best way I know how, I'm going to live my life for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.